What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DTF Podcast. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined today, uh, Wednesday, January 12th, two days after the College Football National title game. I'm joined by my lovely, lovely co-host, the one and only John Fanta of the Big East Digital Network and Fox Sports. And of course, T.O. Coach, T.O. to some of you, uh, Terrence Oglesby, Clemson, Sharpshooter, ACC Network Analyst. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? You guys feeling all right? fantastic i'll tell you what tuesday night was the perfect night for the sport of college basketball it's exactly what you would want to ask for if you were the sport and you went out to dinner because that is how great of an evening it was the night after college football ends and what a national championship game it was i know our field of 12 crew over at ellison brewing did a terrific job and and brought it home that was a great game and a great finish. But one thing that college basketball has that college football doesn't is the best postseason of them all. And to build up to that postseason, you got to have nights like Tuesday evening. It was phenomenal. You had two unbeatens, and they go unbeaten for two-plus months. And in a span of about three hours, they both fall and take their first loss of the season that being Baylor to Texas Tech and USC to Stanford. Tuesday night showed us that March has the potential to be absolutely wild. There are stars in the sport. The sport is more than healthy. Grab your popcorn. Yeah, and one thing I do just want to mention before I go to you on this, T.O., is that we were in Indianapolis with the field of 12 for the national title game. We are going to be in New Orleans for the field of 68 for the final four. Details are coming on that, but we will be down there. We'll be doing live shows. We are going to find a place to hang out for six days in New Orleans. There is, <laughs> I'm setting the odds right now. They actually have them over at Bet River Sportsbook. Uh, it is right now plus 200 that all of us survive. So one of <laughs> us, I don't know, one of us is not coming home from New Orleans. I think that's what one thing that we can all uh, agree on at this point. But for anybody heading down that way for the final four, we will be there. You need to come hang out. We're going to have the best guests. We're going to have the best shows. We're going to have the best content. We're also probably going to end up having the best best time because that's what we do with the field of 68. T.O., uh, it, it, it feels like there's no dominant team in college basketball this year. Uh, Fanta just kind of reeled some of them off. Uh, Baylor lost at home to Texas Tech. We saw USC lose uh, at Stanford. Uh, we saw over the weekend Duke lost at home against uh, Miami, right? A Miami team that just lost to Florida State. We saw Iowa State get worked over by Oklahoma. We saw Kansas go on the road and lose at 
Texas Tech, who is down two of their best players. So uh, is there is there anyone that stands above the crowd? Is that just the season that we're in right now? There's not going to be an elite team. The one that worries me more than anybody, guys, and to allude to your point about there not being any great teams, I, I think the depth of talent in the NCAA this year is far superior than it has been because you have an extra year's worth of players that are sticking around. But we can talk about that in a second. The the, re, the team that I'm most worried about, guys, is Kansas. And the reason being is they have no serious inside presence. And whenever you have a guy like David McCormick, who needs to be that guy for them, it's the most befuddling thing as to why he's not productive because there's not a coach in the country that's better at finding creative ways to get the ball to his big man with deep post position than Bill Self. The fact that McCormick hasn't been productive is amazing to me. I don't understand how that's possible. Usually they have a huge guy in there, whether that be uh, Udoka Azubuki or they've had somebody that's consistently productive in the post. He, they need him to be that for Kansas to be able to realize their potential. And that would be too bad because they have a lot of talent at the garden wing spots. They need that five man within that offense to put pressure on the rim. That worries me more than anything. And, and playing 10 minutes against Iowa State and not getting a shot up and only having four rebounds, find a way to be productive, man. you got to figure out some way to be productive. For Kansas to be as good as they, they can be, he needs to step up in a major way. And I'm just shocked because he was so good last year. Yeah, I've honestly gotten to the point where I think that Bill Self needs to find a a different answer. It's not going to be McCormick this year. That turnaround is not coming. So whether it's uh, relying on Jalen Wilson to be your five, man, or getting uh, K.J. Adams or Zach Clements enough minutes where they can play that role, or just going on all in on Mitch Lightfoot and saying, you know what, if he may not be the best, and he's probably a backup in, in his ideal role, but if he's going to go out and do the job that I need him to do, maybe that's the answer. I just don't think yeah. that you can continually roll out David McCormick when he's not doing what you want to do, right, John? You're absolutely right. Yeah, both of you are, and that would be the team that I'd be most concerned about that's in that, that top echelon we've talked about when speaking about teams that can make it to New Orleans. If you don't have a consistent post presence, it's going to be very difficult to get there. You know why? Because if you look at the teams that we talk about, Baylor, how about the way that Auburn has jumped into this conversation with Walker Kessler and Cardwell and company, uh, Jabari Smith and everything that he does, and we'll get to them a little bit later. But But if you look at the front lines of these teams, if you look at Duke and what they have in Mark Williams and company, The physicality level is on a different level than what Kansas is playing on. Kansas may have someone that on his best day could be argued as the best player in the country in Ochai Agbaji. But if you can't box out, if you can't get bodies on people, this year, T.O., the sport is old. And Mm -hmm. you know what that makes it? It's, It's a tough. It's a tough sport this year. You've got to get a body on somebody and make a box out and figure out a way to get a closeout. David McCormick changed everything for Kansas last season. And the thing is, Rob, the alternative options that you bring up are not guys that I would sit here and say, oh, end all be all answer for what Kansas does at the five. So this is a real challenge for Bill Self because you might not have a true answer out of the guys that you just listed between Jalen Wilson, between KJ Adams, they're, they're, none of them are. None of, the, not, none of them are the right answer. 
But you know who right. else isn't the right answer right now? David McCormick. Like, if he's not getting it done, you have to find a way to to change something else to 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 plug that gap. You have enough. Well, I was about to bring up like maybe you could make maybe you have to revert your offense to outside in. Yep. To where Mitch Lightfoot. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Rob. No, go ahead. I, I just I'm kind of thinking about how you could fix things. And maybe you go outside in as opposed to inside out, which is what Kansas has been doing for the longest because they, they go from Azubuki to McCormick. McCormick was good last year. He's not good or he hasn't been as good this year. Like you have to tinker with something. I have, there's no coach in the country that I don't have, that I don't put Bill Self up with as far as figuring it out. Let me just say that before all of that, but they have a lot of guards that can get places. They have Ochai Abaji who has improved tremendously. Guys, we've seen it on a consistent basis. Maybe you put Mitch Lightfoot out there because of what he does well. What does he do well? He can dribble into handoffs. He sets great screens and he does all the dirty work. So maybe put that to work, put him on the outside perimeter or initiate some offense, maybe a little bit in the same manner as UT uses John Fulkerson. Put him out on the perimeter, pass it, go screen, roll. Maybe every now and then you get six to eight points. But then you get your other guys downhill. I just worry. Uh, it's just that's something that Kansas has had in their staple for so long is that inside. And, and it, goes, it, goes, it goes way past like Udoka as a boot. Like the, look yeah. at the best teams that, that he's had, whether it was like a Thomas Robinson. Uh, Landon Lucas did that job perfectly. He's so good at scheming ways to get big guys a post-touch and a post-seal while all they have to do is catch, turn around, and dunk. And we got T.O. shifting all over the place over there. Yeah, I know. I'm um, sorry, guys. It's like, it's like you're in Fog Allen Fieldhouse and you have the sun coming in the window in that one moment in the afternoons where it blinds people in the corner. Uh, yeah, but I think at this point you kind of have to – you have to go all in on something else that McCormick <clears throat> is not the answer. We're, we're in the middle of January, right? We are six weeks away from the start of tournament play. You have to start figuring out a different answer for at this point in the season, and it's not David McCormick. You know who I'm actually a little bit worried about right now? And I know I spent all of the last two weeks talking about how this might actually be the best team in the country and how this is the most talented team in the country. Uh, and it's because um, a lot of it was because of what they could be defensively, and that is Duke. They, they kind of got lit up by Miami a little bit in their own building. I thought that the defense that Paolo played on the perimeter was a little bit disappointing. I thought that uh, some of their effort level in the second half in terms of keeping people in front is a little bit disappointing. Tio, we talked about it on Saturday night on After Dark. Duke, when they're at their best, is pressuring, overplaying passing lanes, making it really difficult for you to run anything you want, and then daring you to beat them one-on-one when you get whatever switch that you end up wanting, right? And the problem Mm -hmm. was... Miami was winning those one-on-one battles, especially late in the second half. So uh, I'm going to go to you first on this one, Fanta. How how worried are you about Duke? How worried are you about their defense? Or was this just a byproduct of, okay, they were coming off of a two-week layoff. They only played one game before that. Maybe they didn't have their legs in this one. I think it had a little bit to do with legs, but I also had it had a lot more to do with Miami being good and really defending. Miami didn't defend anybody for a long hey, time. Hey, you, you hear that, Fanta? He's no longer a Big East guy. T.O. is back to being an ACC guy. Hey, you got to give credit where credit is due. Miami's still good. Like, they lost a tough one last night at Florida State, but that's a veteran team, and it goes back to what we were saying about, man, the depth of talent this year. Miami's got four sixth-year seniors. So I, I want to chalk it up a little bit to that. And we were talking about Paolo Bancaro, and I mentioned off air. Do you want to get into this right now, the difference between him and Jabari Smith? Because well, I think it's relevant yeah, to this ahead. point. I think go it's ahead. relevant to this point. Jabari Smith plays hard all the time. 
And you know why he plays hard all the time? He doesn't play freaking Bruce Pearl. There's not a guy on that team for Bruce Pearl that doesn't play freaking hard. And you can you can question his energy on the sidelines. He goes a little nuts, sure. But those guys play hard all the time. I'm not sure the standard has been set for a Duke team this season like it has been in the past, especially coming back from the COVID pause. There's a lot of rust, sure. But there's not a whole lot of getting up in the in the passing lanes. And, guys, they turn it over like crazy. I'm, I'm – I'm almost willing to say, you know, worry about Duke a little bit. They're still the most talented team in the country. That doesn't change because a couple bad game or a bad game, but they need to take care of the basketball. If they do that, they're going to give themselves a chance because there's just too much firepower. And I'm I'm just disappointed right now because in Bancaro because I said at the beginning of the year, and I'm not sure I back off of it. He's one of the most he's the most talented kid as far as an intangible perspective, an NBA draft prospect. He just doesn't play hard, as hard as you would want all the time. Yeah, and you, and you make a really that's good the point. The difference between him and Jabari Smith. Yeah, yeah, and you make a really good point about the turnovers too. You know, they, they you kind of what, what was the biggest question mark fans that we had coming into the season about Duke? It was their point guard play. Right yeah. now, the guy that is kind of running the point for them is Wendell Moore, and Wendell Moore is not. 15 I, I, live ball turnovers yeah, 15 when, live ball turnovers like if you turn the ball over it goes out of bounds at least you can set your defense 15 yeah. steals for Miami that's what Miami is not even really a team that 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 necessarily is known for being that on the defensive end of the floor fans no, where are you at no. on Duke well the head of the snake is Wendell Moore Jr and he had six of those 17 total turnovers that being said I am here to say Take a deep breath. Everyone in Durham, take a glass of water. Take a deep breath. Here's the deal with this. You are absolutely right in that Duke did not defend the way that they're capable of in this game. You want my honest opinion? Paolo Bancaro didn't play as hard because Miami was in the building. And they didn't treat Miami seriously. They didn't. I got that inclination watching the game. I thought that Duke was the more passive team. I thought they were a team that that was not making things happen. They were allowing Miami to sort of sit in the game, dictate the game. Well, you you leave a team that option, and they might seize it. Charlie Moore's been in college basketball for a decade. Yes. Is he a great is he a great player? No, he's not a great player. But he's played in plenty of close games, and and on this night he figured out a way to make some crazy plays. Duke should have won this game. They should have won this game. Paolo Bancaro, when the going got tough, made a couple of huge plays down the stretch and still had 20. If Wendell Moore's getting you 12, 12, and 7, and Paolo Bancaro's getting you 20, and you hit more threes than Miami, what's the only way that you're going to lose the game? By turning the basketball over. Cut down the turnovers. They're going to be fine. This Duke team, someone said to me, uh, does this mean that, that they're going to get challenged for the ACC? There ain't a shot in hell. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. They're going to win the ACC, hands down. They're going to be there in the NCAA tournament with a top two seed. They'll be a one seed or a two seed. I'll predict it right now. They're not going to have any issues in round one, and they're not going to have any issues in round two. And the momentum of everything is in a perfect place. I'm not worried about Duke. I would still put them in my final four because I know who they are in a big game. 
And that is a great defensive team, a team that protects the rim. But don't take people lightly. They're going to bounce back on Wednesday night. And oh, look, yeah. I like Wake Forest, but I feel for Wake Forest that they're getting Duke off this loss because I feel that Wake Forest, a good team, I like Coach Forbes a lot. I think it's a tough spot for them. Duke is going to bounce back in this game. Let me ask you guys this. How many F-bombs do you think Coach K dropped in practice on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday combined? Do you think we're over 1,000 F-bombs in those three practices combined? I'm not going to put a number on it. I'm just going to say a plethora. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a cornucopia. A cornucopia <laughs> of F-bombs. Yeah, yeah. Your team's better than this. Your team is better than this, than mm. what they did on Saturday. Look, you – you're right in that Miami had, had been on a roll in terms of winning. Sometimes that's infectious. And then yeah. you, win, you win a game that people didn't have you winning. Um, you you I, know I, what else it is? You know what else it is? This may sound crazy, but Miami goes into Cameron as a program with confidence. They're not scared to do. They've won in that building a couple times. And I know it's not specifically the guys on that court, but it's the coaching staff in that locker room. It's the guys yeah. saying, hey, we've done this before. We go in there. We win at Duke. The year that they won the title with Jaleel Okafor and Tyus Jones, they lost to like Manu LeCompte and Angel Rodriguez because both those guys went nuts. Like it just happens. It's one of those things in college basketball that just happens. It's like teams, Pac 12 teams losing at Colorado and Utah. It just happens. Miami going into the game. It just happens sometimes. It's one of those weird things. You got, I'm I'm a full believer that 90% of life is confidence. So if you walk into Cameron saying, I don't know how we're going to deal with all these crazies. It's going to be loud. Look at all the titles. Look at Duke. Look at all that talent. Then you're already fucked. But if you go in there saying, like, we can win. We are going to win because we can get that done. Like, you're you're got a really good shot of doing it. 90% of life is confidence. Sports or not sports. Who's coaching the team? By George. The dream is alive. Jim Laranaki accounted for one of the greatest NCAA tournament runs in the history of college basketball. We don't need, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> we don't need to bring that up. Why are you bringing up? Why are you, why are you bringing stuff up like that, Fanta? I thought you I were have, a big. I thought you were a Big East guy. Didn't they beat? Didn't they beat UConn? Is that what happened? No comment. Come on. <laughs> I'm just making sure. I don't remember. Just making sure I was on the same page there. I don't remember. I, I, I blacked out that night. I don't remember. I can't. I, who knows, man? That was 2006. Those were dark days. Those were dark days. George Mason did that in D.C. What a job by the committee. Tony Skin, stand up. Tony Skin, stand up. Tony Skin, stand up. Tony Skin, stand up. Anyway. He's coaching now. He's coaching now. Yes, he is. Now he's at Ohio State. That's right. All right, so let's uh, let's pivot. The number one team in all the land, undefeated Baylor, went down on, I guess it was Tuesday night. I can't keep track of any days at this point. Um, You know, Tia, let me ask you this. Are you – do you take more out of this loss in terms of what it says about Baylor or what it says about your boys down there in Lubbock? My, my people down in Lubbock, is that what your, you're saying? Your, your people down there in Lubbock. My people, they didn't, they didn't let these city folk, they didn't let these city folk tell them what, what they couldn't do. Hey, I think it says more, uh, in all on, all joking aside, I think it says more about Texas Tech than it does Baylor. Uh, guys, nobody's going to go undefeated this year. Well, is that Big 12? It's ridiculous. Really talented bunch. Like the, the entire conference, it's, it's, I'm sitting there looking at the schedule. I'm like, oh man, Texas, they go from Oklahoma State, then they have to play Iowa State, and Oklahoma's coming. I'm just like, goodness, there's just so many good teams. Nobody was going to go undefeated. Uh, more impressive was the fact that 
Texas Tech guarded so well against a team with so many offensive weapons. I mean, they swarmed to the basketball. They're still able to recover. Defensively, this Texas Tech team is going to put them in a lot of games. And Mark Adams – The man can coach. That man can the coach. Man can He's coach. Been doing it for a long time. He's won at a lot of different levels. He won national titles at the junior college level. He, he – um, so there's a guy – uh, I think his name is uh, Greg Best. That that was the coach at um, at Three Rivers Community College, who is basically the coach K of like that Texas that that like kind of Midwest JUCO. I think he's he's the career wins leader in the JUCO level. Mark Adams took Howard uh, Howard Junior College to the 2010 JUCO National Championships and beat beat that dude's ass. That's that's what yeah. he does. Now it also helps because he had a a young man by the name of Jay Crowder on that roster. Yeah, he's solid. Yeah, he's he's not bad, but um the mark adams can coach he's won a yeah. lot of games he's done a lot of really great things just because it happened at the junior college or, or kind of the, the lower levels in west texas doesn't mean that he wasn't able to go out and get it done went out and got it done on tuesday night yeah plus you, you gotta think about adonis arms all name team uh he was really good all name team it was really good last night and Gosh, I, I'm just shocked. It, it changes the games because the biggest knock was can Mark Adams get players in. The transfer portal changes that whole narrative. And we talked about it a little bit. Guys that are transferring have a much different perspective of what they want going in to finding a new school than high school seniors do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. High school seniors are much more about the glitz and the glamour. Transfer kids – what fit is best for me and what coach is going to put me in the best position? There's a completely different approach to finding a school between transfers and high school kids. He is going to be able to capitalize on the transfers for a long time. The, the transfer portal hurts some teams. It's going to help Texas Tech for a long time, as long as Mark Adams is yeah, and, and you want to know why? You want to know why? We just talked about all the success that he had at the junior college level. You know what happens every single season at the JUCO level? You turn that roster over. And it's not just at the end of the season. Like, you got kids leaving middle of the year. You got kids leaving after the first semester. You got new players coming in all over the place. The 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 idea in, in JUCO, it's all about, like, a moving target trying to put this together. And I feel like that's a little bit what it's like with Texas Tech, which is why you're seeing them have some success. And, look, yeah. I want to give a shout-out to some of the guys on that team that no one's ever heard of before. Clarence Naldoni, right? He came out of nowhere. He scored 28 points in wins Frenchy. over Kansas and wins over Baylor. Right. Like it, it's all about stepping up and taking the opportunity when the minutes are available to you. And you know what? When when Terrence Shannon comes back, he's going to have to go out there and earn his minutes. Like Bryson Williams was awesome the last two games. Kevin O'Banner's making shots now. Adonis Arms went for 14 points, nine boards, five assists, and had a poster dunk of the year so far uh, at Baylor in a win. If Terrence Shannon is coming back into the team, he's got to go earn his spot. And that right there is how you become a great team because think about what think about what those practices are going to be like now fancy think about walking into that gym terrence shannon the guy that that everyone thought was going to be your nba player coming in and he has to earn his spot from a guy named adonis arms those practices are going to be wars and that is how you get better well i think terrence shannon is an explosive player who can make things happen for texas tech that being said on the offensive end of the floor at times they over rely on terrence shannon to do something And that's when you take him off the floor, sometimes it's the best medicine for a team to say, you know what, guys, we got to come together here. We got to pull together and move the basketball. Texas Tech's offense early in the season was not good. It was not good. All you had to do is go over to Madison Square Garden to that Texas Tech-Tennessee game. We don't need to talk about that. 
but we, we no, we don't need to talk about that. We that game did not happen. Well, the point is a ball stopping team, a team mm-hmm. that said, "Ah, oh, we got to give it to McCuller. We got to give it to Shannon here. They got to make something happen." It was a lot of one v one, a lot of one v one. They didn't do that last night. But you know what they did? They switched everything defensively. And they said, one to five, you're not going to beat us off the step. We're going to take you from the driving lane. So they said, you're going to have to hit 10 threes to beat us. They hit eight. Baylor hit eight. But last night, Texas Tech's defense did an absolutely fantastic job on a guy that people think could be an All-American in James Akinjo. They made James Akinjo his life a nightmare. They really did. Akinjo shot one for eight from three. That tells me that there's a degree of settling, and that tells me that Akinjo's having issues trying to figure out where he goes. Yeah, the perfect, to your point, Fanta, the perfect example of this was that final possession when when Baylor drew up a play to get a switch for Marcus Santos Silva on Akinjo, and Akinjo dribbled the ball around for 17 seconds and could not create the space to get a shot off. Um, You're right. You're right. That's what they do. They switch everything. They don't let you go middle, and they have nothing but dudes that are six foot six, strong, tough, physical, athletic. They can guard. And they didn't overhelp. They didn't no. overhelp. Which, which Akinjo does a nice job of getting past that initial defender. He's really good when that second defender comes. But he could. It one, he couldn't get past that first defender yesterday. And two, they didn't overhelp. So what happens is it results in a lot of semi-contested shots for a guy that's six one against all those six six guys, like you were talking about. Sorry, it's because it's such a it's such a weird defense that they play, right? Like it's the, it's the same one that Texas plays now because Chris Beard went there. It's the same one that Scott Drew plays because Scott Drew ripped that off from Chris Beard and Mark Adams after they made it to the national title game. And I'm not saying that like I'm not trying to take a shot at Scott Drew. Great coaches rip stuff off from people all the time. That's that's the way that the business works. Everybody's mm-hmm. borrowing stuff. But um, for people that under, don't understand, what they basically do is if you have the ball on one side of the floor. They're not going to let you get back to the middle. They are going to overplay to the point where you can only drive baseline. So let's say that you're on the left side of the floor. They are going to sit on your right hand and make it so you have to drive left. And the reason they do that is because they can pre-help, right? They can get that help going before the ball's on the floor because you can only go one way, which is why they are so good at taking charges because that perimeter player is great at, at forcing that driver to go to a specific spot. They don't help off the corner. They make you drive right to the charge spot, which is the block. And that guy is going to be the, the help defender is going to be there waiting because he knows you can only go one way. That's why they're so tilting the floor charges. Yeah, that's all they're they t- do. Yeah, they're, t- they're tilting the floor. That's what um, that's what the Celtics did to LeBron back when he was mm-hmm. with the Cavs the first time. They, they, they tilt the floor. Don't let the ball get swung for second side offense. And the good thing is, is most of the guys you play against at the college level, especially most teams, you tilt the floor, make them go left, and you're sitting high on that hip. They're pulling up. If they're going to pull up, that shooting pocket's right here. Sorry, guys. Mm -hmm. This is terrible for a podcast. I'm just – the shooting pocket's right here. The defender's going to be right here. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be able to highly – be able to highly contest every shot going to the baseline. We played a little bit of that when I was in Ukraine, and they just got frustrated with me because I couldn't guard anything anywhere, anytime. didn't matter what we were doing. But at the same time, like, that was – it was really effective because whenever you load up like that, you're going to shoot – you're going to have mid-range jumpers that are open, but they're also going to be riding on your hip. So it's going to make it difficult. Yeah, and, and the, the last thing that I'll just say is that um, 
that style of defense is going to be very difficult for Baylor to play against because the best way to beat it is to have guards that can kind of make those short kind of probing drives that'll force the help without over dribbling and then are big enough to see over the top of the defense to pick out wherever that that leftover defender is. Because what they do is they pre-help to the charge spot and they pre-help to what would be that baseline, um, almost like kind of like a hammer action. They don't let you make that pass along the baseline. So you have to be big yeah. enough to be able to pick your dribble up, get the ball above your head and find the opposite wing, whoever is left open, whoever's the extra man. James Akinjo is 6'1". He's got 6'6 six, six dudes on him. Adam Fly. How many how many foot. college kids can make that pass effectively consistently? Well, not not and, a lot. That's why the defense is so great. That's, right. that, that's why that's it works. Right. And you're going to get a team's best shot playing that defense because you're Baylor and you had won 22 in a row. The fact is, there's not many teams that are capable of playing that level of defense, and that's why you tip your cap to Texas Tech because mm-hmm. they've now done it in back to back games to beat. You know, Kansas you know what I was thinking about, guys. Fan, fan, I want to go to you, you on this one because I. I I feel like this is a little bit Chris Beard's best teams at Texas Tech were when he had dudes that no one knew. He had the under the radar dudes. It wasn't when he was going out and getting Jemias Ramsey, and it wasn't when he was going out and getting Amari Burnett, and it wasn't when he was getting these five star kids that he could get once he made it to a national title game. His best teams were when he had like Keenan Evans and Jarrett Culver, who was a three star kid from Lubbock that wanted to go to Texas but didn't get an offer. It's when he had Zaire Smith, who nobody knew about except for. Uh, Chris Beard and his staff when they went out and they got him into Lubbock. It's when they had Matt Mooney, who was a transfer coming in from South Dakota. Uh, it's when they had Tar- uh, Tariq Owens, who transferred in because no one wanted him at Tennessee or St. John's. So um, it feels like that's the kind of team that Mark Adams has right now, right? Like th- these are a bunch of dudes that transferred in from smaller programs that have a point to prove that are going to go out there and say, look, we can win the fight. We might be able to win the basketball game too, but we're going to win the fight, right, Fanta? Like, it feels like this This is a the kind of team that you want at a program like Texas Tech that T.O.'s people in Lubbock are really going to buy into. Mm-hmm. Look, it's what, what they did so well over Chris Beard's tenure was develop talent. Uh, the way that Jared Culver developed from basically a three-star prospect into an absolute superstar on that national runner-up team in 2018-19. And if you're Texas Tech, and here's what I appreciate about that administration, they faced negative feedback, negative feedback when they made the Mark Adams hire. A lot of people did not agree with that hire. And I'm here to tell you that you can all shut up. (laughs) You're all wrong. All of you. So sit down and Eat a sandwich because you were all wrong. I'm telling you right now, I do not like it when people just give their hot takes because Mark Adams has never coached at a power conference school in a big game. That doesn't mean the guy can't coach. Do you know, folks, how hard it is to win at the JUCO level consistently? Do you have any idea how hard it is to win at a low major school? I was talking with someone yesterday at a school who was asking me, about a certain position that they have open in their athletic department. And you know what they were asking me about? Who are the guys who are at low major departments who are grinding and figuring out a way to elevate their school in some way, shape, or form so that they could look at them? They didn't want just some fluffy face who's at a power conference school who might have worked hard to get where they are, but now is at a different point in their career. 
you, Mark Adams worked his ass off for a very long time to get this opportunity. And if you ask Chris Beard about how he got to a national championship game, he would tell you that it's because he had the best defense in America and Mark Adams was his defensive coordinator. Put some respect on the guy's name. Just because the guy doesn't look like the sexy coach. You know, some somebody said to me they were coming into the Providence-Texas Tech game a, a month ago, and somebody said – to me at the game. I got to tell you, I, I walked by Mark Adams. I thought he was the team doctor. Like he looks so unassuming because he doesn't look like he doesn't look necessarily like the head coach of a, of a basketball team. That's going to be in the top 15 on Monday, but gosh, Dan, he could coach. Mark Adams could coach, put some respect on the guy's name. He's been through it all. He's so, he's so kind of unassuming too. And he's got such a wild life story. Like, did you guys know that he owned, uh, he owned minor league hockey teams with his twin brother in Amarillo. He owns minor league oh. hockey. He is a hockey team owner. Um, he uh, he was a I think he boxed Golden Gloves when he was going out. So like, look if you if you got something to say to him, you know that Mark Adams is going to have those hands ready for you. Uh, my favorite story though, um, the players wanted him. Right, the players wanted him to be the coach. This wasn't a thing where it was like. Uh, you know, they just gave it to the guy because of whatever. Like the players fought for him and backed him and wanted him to be in. I, I, I was told there were multiple players that told the uh, the athletic department that they were transferring if Mark Adams was going to be the head coach. Wow, that's that's what it was. Um, and part of the reason why this, I think, this might be my favorite Mark Adams story, is he knows every one of his players' favorite candies, and he has a stockpile of every one of those candies in his office. And so what he does is to get them to come in, he'll say just like, hey, uh, Terrence Shannon, um, I, I, got, I got a fresh bag of Reese's peanut butter cups for you to come by and hang out and talk. You just got to talk to me for 10 minutes in the office. And that, that, that's how he gets his players to come in, a little one-on-one time, get to know each other, make sure they're always stopping by to go get that bag of candy after practice. I, I, I just love that. that. That, to me, was the most kind of like uh, the, the most relatable thing about him. Right, like he's just kind of this old this this old guy that wants to hang out with people and give them some candy. Right? No, am I crazy? But he also can coach his tail off, and that's and that's what he's doing. That that helps. One that helps. Closing thought on yeah. One closing thought on Baylor. I want I want to just bring this up with the number one team in the country. I am going to bring up a player's name, and and I'm going to say like you said with David McCormick. Hey, I know where you're going. You know, I think you've got to be better. But here's the thing. I actually think he can be better. Like I, like Rob is – the David McCormick theory is it ain't going to happen. Matthew Meyer has not scored in double figures in a month. And if you take a look at how many shots he's taking in the course of the game, it, it's that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Matthew Meyer is supposed to be the glue guy to this Baylor team. He's supposed to be a guy that they can count on for big shots. People thought that he could blossom into a double-digit per-game score and a a guy that they count on for major moments in the game. That doesn't mean that he's necessarily creating it himself. But you've got these guards. You've got a Kinjo. You've got a Flagler. You've got to set up this guy to be your catch-and-shoot Kevin Love-like artist. Matthew Meyer is not giving them that right now. And I think that Baylor's got to figure things out because late last night – they were relying so much on their guards to make something happen that it didn't seem like there was an alternative option. To me, guys, Matthew Meyer's too good of a player for
for him to not be featured more in this offense slash to not be making some more shots through the course of the game. So I'm going to say that a guy that I thought would be integral to Baylor is Matthew Meyer. And I'm still waiting for that breakout to happen because he has not scored double figures since they played Arkansas Pine Bluff. Yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't been what we thought he was going to be. Everybody came in thinking, man, this kid could be an All-American. I mean, he's averaging a little over eight points a game. And he's the guy that, that a lot of the optimism around Baylor being a top three team in the Big 12, he was the reason, along with Akinjo, but he was the reason people thought he was going to be a step up. Guys, he just it hasn't been there. Sub 30 from three, sub yeah. 40 from two for yeah, an athlete that. of that caliber. Like, that. I mean, you, you kind of wonder what's going on. The guy's a senior now. Like, it should have clicked already. So, so I, Is I, he I, not I mentally there all the time? I, I have a take on that. One, yeah, I, I don't know if it's not mentally there. I, I, I don't know how much he loves basketball. I think he loves playing. I don't know how much he loves the grind of getting better. I think he's just one of those. So mentally that, there. So yeah, mentally there. I think he's one of the, one of these dudes that just kind of enjoys being a college kid um, and that gets to play basketball at the same time. Does that make sense? Um, and the other yeah. part of it is I think that – I don't think that he's the best at either of the roles that you need to, to play on this team, right? He's never going to be a better knockdown shooter than LJ Cryer and Adam Flagler because those are two of, like, probably the 10 best shooters um, in the Big 12. Like, those two dudes – get it done. LJ Cryer's a top five scorer in the state of Texas in the history of high school basketball in Texas. Like that dude is a bucket. Adam Flagler has proven it over and over and over again that he could hit big shots. Matthew Meyer is never going to overtake that role. Um, when you have at the three and the four, then he's competing with two guys that are potential one and done talents that are elite at kind of being switchable defenders that bring everything else together. Kendall Brown can kind of create in secondary actions, catch lobs, is a better defender, is a better athlete than Matthew Meyer. He does all of the things that you want to do in that role better than Meyer does as a freshman. Meyer's a senior. I think you can make the same thing, same argument about Jeremy Sochi. Now, is it a little bit problematic that your senior is not able to go out and win those, those roles? Yeah. Is it less problematic because he's doing it with two guys that are freshmen and one of Duns that are both going to end up being, I think Brown will be a lottery pick and Sochan will, if he wants to leave, will probably be like a top 40 pick. So it's, I think he's just kind of gotten beaten out in both of the positions that, that he can play. Now, you want that competition. You want him to get better. But I kind of understand why he's not really doing it. You don't want him to be the lead. The, 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 he's playing the more. He's playing more than last year, Doster, and he's averaging. No, I know. I know. But it's like, what, what, what role do you want him in where he is going to be the best in that role? It's just kind of. The same one like, that he was in last year. Just do the yeah, same thing. Specialist that makes things happen for them on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah, just attack closeouts and knock down shots. He's ten yes. percent. I mean, that, that's my thing. Is like he's he's right now he's missing. He's four for his last twenty one from three, right? So if he gets that turned around and instead of going four for twenty one, we're talking about like eight for twenty one, then you're back to what it was before, and you probably don't lose this game if he's making more shots. But what I did notice when I was down at Battle for Atlantis, he's taking it off the rim and then going and looking for his own offense, as mm-hmm. opposed to last year, right? So, like, he'll go and get a rebound, and he'll take off dribbling, looking to score. Last year, he'd get that rebound hit, run the floor, and then he'd find good shots by somebody else. This year, he's trying to be more aggressive, which you understand. He's a senior. I understand all that. But he's also relying on shots that maybe aren't to his bread and butter. He's a catch-and-shoot guy or a one- or two-dribble pull-up guy. Mm -hmm. That's what he is. And the thing is, he's – go ahead, Fanta. 
Well, but here's the, he is. He, you're exactly right. But here's the thing about Kendall Brown. Kendall Brown is a playmaking player. He makes yeah, they should play well together. They should exactly. They should play well together. Because here's the thing: Matthew Meyer's not knocking down shots right now, and Kendall Brown hasn't scored in double figures in five games. You got to get offense from somewhere. This is what we talk about with teams in March. If you are susceptible to a perimeter drought in a game, and James Akinjo is also struggling to hit shots because he's an All-American caliber talent, that leaves you in a very difficult predicament. Because at the end of the day, when you're playing the second game in three days and your fourth game in 10 days or what feels like five days, you've got to have offensive options. At a certain point, point, you've got to score the basketball. So the concern big picture with Baylor was revealed last night in that a switchable defense who gets up in them and makes their complimentary players have to hit some shots – That's not happening right now for Baylor. They don't have a depth to their offense. No, 100%. Um, All right, so I think we've we've touched on Duke. Uh, We've touched on um, Baylor, which means I want to ask you guys this question. Uh, I'm not ready to say that Gonzaga belongs in that best team in college basketball conversation just yet. Uh, I can't shake the thought of what Alabama did to them after seeing Alabama uh, give up 92 to Missouri. So – is Auburn is it Auburn? Is Auburn the best team in the country? Are they you know, Wendell Green's playing like this? Jabari Smith has been unstoppable for the last month. Walker Kessler looks like the a, an absolute game changer at the five. They got Alan Flanagan coming. Like CO, you said this team was going to the final four in the preseason. You were kind of on an island with that. Are, are they the best team in college basketball right now? Uh oh, he's muted. There you go. Par for the course. Par <laughs> for the course. Uh, they're close. They're close. Wendell, I mean, Wendell, am I thinking Wendell Green? I almost said Wendell Moore. Like, if he plays like he did last night, fun to watch. Katie Johnson, always bringing it. The reason they're in the discussion, guys, is two. Well, it's two reasons. One, they have Jabari Smith. Second reason, they're the hardest playing team in the country right now. Like, Baylor was up there but it's just, they play so stinking hard like every loose ball they're on it and they'll turn it into a helter skelter game there were a couple of possessions yesterday it, it actually turned into four or five possessions where i don't think the ball like went past the top of the three-point line for either alabama or auburn it was just like turnover 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 steal dive on the floor pass the thing is is auburn thrives in that situation and making it really ugly. And they have the talent on the back end of when it's really ugly to finish those plays. They're impressive and they're deep. Was it Cardwell came in last night, gave huge minutes, a huge block at the end of the game when Walker Kessler's in foul trouble. Mari Smith goes 25. What is this? What is this? So after after Alabama, remember in the, remember in football when Alabama came back and they beat, I think they were down like 10 in the fourth quarter and they came back and they beat Auburn. That's what the Alabama football team did. I think it was – I think it was Jamison Williams went to the Auburn student section where the Auburn basketball team was right in front of them and did, did that, the Karate Kid. Was it Karate Kid, Fancy? It was Karate Kid, right? The Karate Kid, Kid celebration. So that's what they were Karate doing last Kid. night. Like if it, That cream. became a thing for Alabama fans. So now Auburn went into their gym with, by the way, like 
a nice little Auburn contingent in that building. It felt like a neutral site arena, which like you cannot have that happen in your own gym. You cannot let that many fans get in and be that loud in your own gym. Come on, Alabama. I know you guys are sad about what happened on Monday night, but you got, you can't let the, you can't let, you can't let Auburn walk into your gym and make it sound like their gym. We got to be better than that. Hey, I, I just appreciate the fact that the Karate Kid was released in 1984 and it's making an appearance in Tuscaloosa and Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I, what I will say is this one last, one last note on Auburn. And then I got my, uh, my, my hot take for you guys. Um, I think that the difference has been Walker Kessler. What the presence yeah. that he provides at the rim defensively allows them to be able to do and get out and pressure people where like you can get out and you can take risks on the perimeter when you know that you have a human eraser at the rim. So important. You feel, yeah. feel comfortable about it. And if you look at Auburn right now, it's a little bit like, to me, they remind me a little bit of what Alabama was last season in the sense that everyone's going to talk about the points that they score. Everyone's going to talk about Jabari Smith. Everyone's going to talk about Alan Flanagan. Oh, look at them playing this entertaining up and down style. The reason that they're winning, they're a top five defense in America. That's their strength. And Walker Kessler is the guy that brings all of that together. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely right. And I totally agree. I thought that in last night's game in particular, Dylan Cardwell was fantastic. And it's almost one of those things where when Walker Kessler was off the floor due to foul trouble, I think it made Alabama feel as though they could try to capitalize. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. Cardwell was great. Give the man due credit. I thought he made a huge difference in this game. And where Auburn is different from LSU, who is Ken Palm 1 in defense, is that Auburn has Jabari Smith and LSU doesn't. And Jabari Smith gets buckets. He's a big-time player. Their guard play, though, is so constant. How many times do we watch a team with guards that they, they know that they're not the best player on the team? They know they're not the best. Jabari Smith is the best player on Auburn, and there's no question about it. They run their offense around him. And yet, and yet, Katie Johnson and Flanagan and the others that are in Bruce Pearl's backcourt are still able to – they just know their role. They have a great knack for timely shots and for just playing with a nonstop motor. And that is why I do believe Auburn should be ranked number one. And guys, I don't know if it's going to happen, but the image of Mark Emmert handing Bruce Pearl a national championship trophy is a fascinating one. We can, we can, it's not wild to think. Uh, Right now, it's not wild to think. Hey, Zeb Jasper started for that team, scored zero points to go with what you say. Like Wendell, Wendell Green Jr. Came off the bench, played 32 minutes. He just happened to be the guy that night. Like, I, it's there's so much going on. And we haven't really talked about Alan Flanagan being back, but he was just solid as ever, just kind of fitting his role. And, and Dawson, you've talked about being him being one of the best college players that nobody really talks about. Like, he was really good last year, and now he's they're just adding another weapon into the yeah, fold. And, and he's not they're even good. like you, you see him out there, and you could tell, yeah, like, yeah, he's, like, he's. I mean, look, when, you, when you're coming off an Achilles, like, you cannot. When, when that thing is healing, you can't go out there and do shit because you don't want that to pop. He didn't, he didn't have a full, uh, a full rupture, right? I, I believe it was like they, he, he had some pain, and they went and they saw, and that they saw it was partially torn. So they got the surgery to fix it just so he wouldn't have to deal with it, I believe is what the, 
is how it went. Don't hold me that. I might, I might be a little bit wrong, but um, you can tell that he's not back to exactly what he was last year. And it's going to take some time. So I like that's where you want to talk about having a ceiling where you can continue to grow. That's where I think you will uh, continue to grow. And also like, well, we'll get to this in a second because I want to move on before we got to get out of here after an hour, but uh, Jabari Smith defensively. Oh boy. He was making some plays last night and uh, that if he's going to be able to lock up on the perimeter, the way that he was last night, we we got, we're going to have to have a conversation about that dude at some point. All right. You guys are, I I teased this at the beginning. I told you guys before we were jumping. Hey, JD Davidson, JD Davidson, huge dunk. I just want to throw that in there. Nothing more, nothing less. JD Davidson, absolute hammer job. That's it. Uh, And then Fanta had something. Yeah. um, Well, I I was surprised that Walker Kessler was able to survive that. Fair enough, right? Worse, him or PJ Hall? Like, which one are we going to have to take off the rest of PJ PJ Hall's was worse because he got laid out. He did this, (laughs) he did the starfish in the air as he was falling down. Like, that one was, that one was bad. That one was bad. Um, anyway, all right. You guys, you guys ready for my hot take? No. Severe Wheeler for the first two months of the season was the second best player on Kentucky's roster behind the guy that is probably a first team All American right now. Maybe ends up being national player of the year in Oscar Sheebway. Kentucky is better when Severe Wheeler is not on the floor. That's my hot take. Am I crazy? Is that a little too hot? Am I getting a little too close to the sun, Fanta? It's it's too hot. That's too hot. Um, I think that Ty Ty Washington's a better player with him off the floor right now because it's just different. But I don't think that I think for Kentucky to be at their best, Severe Wheeler still has to be part of the equation. That's for Cal to, to continue to work out and adapt. This has been able to unveil some parts of their offense and the way that they can play. Um, but, but, that, but that's a season arc. Like teams can, teams can change and morph into, into a different-looking team when a guy goes down. Ty Ty Washington is playing like the highly talented freshman we thought he would be. But again – you, you need severe Wheeler's elusiveness in the lane, his ability to create. He probes very well. And can that open things up even more for Ty Ty? That's how we thought that this would go, that the pressure wouldn't all be on Ty Ty Washington and that severe Wheeler could help alleviate that. I don't think that Kentucky is better when he's not on the floor, but I think they still have to figure out what they're going to do with him on it for them to be at their best. I don't agree wholly with the take that severe Wheeler, I'm just going to let him go. That, that this, this, so I don't, I don't think that they should let him go, but I think that when you have more, the more shooting that you can get on the floor, the more that it makes it more difficult to be able to guard. She like, I think if you take a team and you want to make it into a pressing up and down kind of, get up and down the floor kind of a team where severe Wheeler can operate in the open floor. He's going to be elite. Like if you put him on Auburn, that dude would look like, uh, like an NBA player because of the way that he can pass, how quick he is, the way he can kind of get wherever he wants, put him in open space, make it so you don't have to worry about the fact that he can't really shoot and he's going to look like a star. But when you have to play kind of a half court style of a game where you're building everything around this big fella in the paint, the fact that one, he can't shoot, and two, you can't play him off the ball because of it. It just limits the amount of space. So to me, to make Kentucky the best they can be, 
you want to be able to have Davion Mintz and Ty Ty Washington playing together because both of those guys are a threat to shoot. And it's the threat to shoot that's going to be able to create the space for the monster you got in the, the most physical big guy that you got, the, the most physical big guy in the country. You need to be able to create that space from the rock. Big Sheen. I, I just, I just, I can't take the, I can't wholly, like, I can't just jump on the Davion Minship and take it out to an island because I don't think that's getting Kentucky to a Final Four. Like remember, you're I'm not, thinking you're about- not you're not riding da- you're not riding Davion Mitch to the Final Four. What you're riding is Big Sheep and Ty Ty Washington. What we've seen out of Ty Ty the last two games when he's on Davion, the ball. You're telling me you'd rather have Davion Mitch in the game than Severe Wheeler. I am telling you, I would rather have the ball in Ty Ty Washington's hands and have another shooter on the floor to be able to create the space. With the way that Kentucky needs to play to be great, they need shooting on the floor more than anything else to be able to create the space for the guy that went for 30 and 13 last night. Look, Severe Wheeler is great. You want to build your system around the best way well, to make Wheeler Oscar Sheeway average 30. And- if Severe Wheeler is so great, why is he not on the floor? He's hurt right now. Yeah, no, I'm saying, though, but in your equation, you said Severe Wheeler is great, but you don't, you don't think that he can be great for Kentucky. It's all about the fit and within the system and the style you want to play. I think it's I think it's matchup based, and the reason yes. I say that, yeah, I th- the reason I say that is I, I I think Severe's Severe. We've talked about Kentucky being matchup based. Severe Wheeler's matchup based, and Ty Ty Washington is matchup based. Look at the teams that they've played that are gap heavy. Who has played better, Severe Wheeler or Ty Ty Washington? Ty Ty Washington. Why? Because he gets in there and fans out. Who has played better when teams are up the line? For example, North Carolina. For example, Duke at the beginning of the season. Severe Wheeler. Why? North, North, Carolina, doesn't, to, North Carolina doesn't count because Kentucky was running 5-on-0 offense. And you can look right Yeah, that's true. Offense. But but you also have to understand, like, there, it, for teams that don't overhelp, Severe Wheeler is really good because he can get everywhere he wants. Mm-hmm. For teams that overhelp, problem is, is people load on the ball. He's too small to get rid of it. So to say that he, you're better – with him off the floor, I think it depends on the team that you play. So last night, you look at Vanderbilt, who's not great, but at the same time, they're a gap-heavy team. What happens? Ty Ty Washington pitches the ball up. They go to second-side offense. They make that defense move. He gets in the middle. Then they have shooters around. You play somebody like, I don't know, arbitrary team, Florida State, team that gets up, Severe Wheeler's going to be good because he can get all the way into the paint and then create late help. That's what happened against Duke in the first half of the Champions Classic at the beginning of the season. But the mm-hmm. second half, they didn't overhelp. So then you're probably better without him on the floor. It's it, and when I what I mean is whenever he gets all the way in there, they Duke stayed out to where like they had to finish oversized. Not every team has that size and window window more that can recover on his own. I just it's matchup based. If you're playing a gap heavy team, you're better with Ty Ty out there. You're yes. playing a team so that gets up the line, you're better you know, with Severe Wheeler. And my bit to put a bow on everything. I think that you need to start building this team around Ty Ty being the guy and Big She being the guy and playing that way and then adjusting if teams take away that as opposed to putting the ball in Severe Wheeler's hands. I I think you need to use Severe Wheeler as a weapon when he is needed as opposed to being the guy that you build the team around. Does that make sense? He's a weapon. He's useful. Yes. But I think the best way for Kentucky to win is to build it around playing a style that accentuates the strengths of Ty Ty Washington and accentuates the strengths of – Oscar Shibway, and then using Severe Wheeler when someone takes that away, as opposed to 
playing severe Wheeler out there and letting teams do what Notre Dame did, did to them and make their offense look inept. That's just the way that I, I feel. But listen. Well, it's situational. Uh, we talked about Kentucky being situational. I think he mm-hmm. in particular is situational. Like yep. he's so small against against SEC teams that are loading up everywhere. I think it makes it hard for him. I think those two guys. I disagree with this take. Do you? <laughs> no, I just, I, I just think uh, – no, not your take. Oh, I thought I thought like I think I think there's a point to be made both ways because I think it's matchup oh, based. Well, enough with the wishy washy. No, Come on, I'm walking. Pick a side, pick a side, dig your heels in, and argue it to the death whether or not you think it's right. Come I on, think they're both yo. right. I think they're both right. It just depends on that. everything requires context. Context is king. Context is king. You probably you probably wrote your wife's name in during the election when you went to go vote at your local polling station. <laughs> you probably listen, right. listen, guys. <laughs> I gotta get I gotta get Fanta out of here because I know for a fact that Fanta has another Zoom at ten thirty that I need him to be on. So for for John Fanta. For Terrence Ogles, my name is Rob Dawson. This was the DTF Podcast.